What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? My name is Maxwell Kosmolski, and welcome back to Max's Monday Morning Market Mania. So last week was a relatively eventful week, not so much for the stock market. She went up, she went down. Major indices, they closed relatively even, plus minus a percent or two. Uh, today, June 6th, Amazon is trading at, I think it was 122 bucks, give or take, as it just did a 20 to 1 stock split. Kind of exciting if you want to own an, a share of Amazon. If you want to own a share of Amazon, you now are able to do that for 120th the price. So what else happened last week? So as I reported on the previous Max's midweek morning market mania, I mentioned that on Memorial Day, gas prices hit a brand new all-time high of $4.62. And actually, the Monday before that, in Max's May Monday morning market mania minute, I reported that I had just paid $4.59 a gallon for gas. Well, <clears throat> today, June 6th, 2022, the national average is now $4.82 a gallon. That's a 20 cent increase in seven days. Seven days. So I was paying $4.59 two weeks ago, and I look around right now, I cannot find gas for anything cheaper than $4.99. Yesterday, I saw it as high as $5.39 for cash. This is hopelessly unsustainable. And since Biden took office, gas prices have actually doubled. And back in 2020, during the uh, liquidity crunch, maybe, maybe it wasn't March, it was probably early summer, something like that. Uh, we actually saw oil prices go negative in the futures market at one point in March, I think it was. And that doesn't happen in a normal market. So obviously, if a barrel of oil is negative $37, then they're not going to just pay someone to give them free oil. Obviously, that's not how it works. So when you hear people talk about uh, the people at the oil companies being super greedy and comparing uh, the prices of a barrel of oil to previously, you, you need to realize that it's not as simple as that. Oil was $140 a barrel in, uh, when was that? It was, it was years ago. But right now, oil is $119, $120 a barrel, and it's far past its previous all-time highs. And as I was saying, in a, around middle of 2020, I paid as low as $1.30 for a gallon of gas. So triple that, and you're at $3.99. So we are damn near quadruple the price of gas compared to what I paid about two years ago to this day. So that is not good. We have enough oil under our soil to pull it out of the ground, create jobs, create economic output by pulling oil out of the ground and selling it to not only our own people so we don't have to rely on Russia and countries on the other side of the planet like, this, like Saudi Arabia, and we, would, we wouldn't have to rely on them. We would be able to produce it ourselves and create jobs in the, mean, in the meantime. And we would be able to uh, sell it to other countries for profit. So it would be good for the economy, but there is the people on the left, they do not want oil to be further used at all. They want to transition us into green energy, which obviously I'm for that. I would prefer less carbon emissions rather than more, but I don't prefer economic hardship. I think if economic hardship is the consequence, then I don't think it's the right option. Now, 
people want to get us off of oil by 2030, 2050, whatever. But in reality, like we would need to 10x our, uh, our investments in nuclear, in solar. Wind is really shitty, but we could get that better. Right now, nuclear is our best option. And then, you know, natural gas, we would need to heavily increase our output on all these other energy forms rather than oil. But the technology simply isn't there for wind. It's not there for solar. So that's kind of the pickle we're in. So I think when 2030, 2050 comes around, we're still going to be using oil, not nearly as much, but it's not really reasonable to expect that we can completely decrease our reliance on it in such a short amount of time. Oil is what makes the world go around. It's the number one most used commodity. So that's that. Now, if oil prices were to go down, which I don't think is unreasonable. Now, when we see these shortages, it, it takes a while to play out. Do I think we've hit the complete top? No, maybe temporarily, maybe today as we speak, $4.82 is the peak of national average for a, a gallon of uh, gas. But we don't know. Uh, what could bring down the oil price is a recession. And we are one quarter of declining GDP away from a recession. We have people even like Jamie Dimon, CEO of JP Morgan, and Elon Musk, CEO of Tesla and SpaceX. They're talking about turmoil coming in the markets. Uh, Elon even said something about potentially laying off 10% of all Tesla employees. And as I was get, what I was getting at was a recession would basically mean less economic output. It would decrease our reliance on oil because we'd be using less because we'd be producing less, which would decrease the demand in oil and a decrease in demand decreases the price. So that's our really our only hope for decreasing the price. We either increase production or we decrease demand. Uh, we will see what, what happens, but I will report on this again next week. Hopefully we're not at a new all-time high because I just filled up my car for $5 a gallon for the first time in my life, and it is expensive, and I know you guys are all feeling the same way. So yeah, a week ago, $4.62 national average. Now it's $4.82. Great. So energy, speaking of energy, we had a really, really interesting week in pretty much all of energy last week, uranium specifically. So Westinghouse is a big power company, and they mentioned that they're going to create nine new nuclear reactors in Ukraine. And, you know, Europe, United States, countries all around the world, they're getting more pro-nuclear energy. We've had experiences that have turned us away from nuclear energy, like Fukushima, which was a, a, a nuclear disaster in uh, 2010 or 11. Chernobyl, uh, Three Mile Island, we've seen disasters like that, which gets everyone all scared of nuclear energy, but the technology is safe and reliant now, or reliable, and I think it is a way of the future for us and our energy, because we can create baseload energy, baseload electricity, with zero carbon emissions. Now, who doesn't want that? And the nuclear waste, it doesn't destroy the environment. You put in 55-gallon drums, and you seal it in concrete. You put it in a warehouse. It doesn't even take up that much space. So I'm, I'm insanely bullish on uranium, and the narrative is getting out there, and more and more people are investing in uranium. 
And last week on Thursday, actually, we saw a crazy day for uranium. And the market is so small, it doesn't take much capital for it to just absolutely move. And the top, the top runner on Thursday was Uranium Energy Corp, which I'm a shareholder of. Uh, I really love that company. I'm bullish on it long term. Easily could go down with the rest of the market. Broader markets going down will bring all the energy stocks down, no matter what. But Uranium Energy Corp was up as much as 18%. Cameco, which I'm also a shareholder of that. I absolutely love Cameco. Their, their CEO is a strategic monster. He's going to take that company to the moon. Uh, it was up as much as 8%. That's the largest uranium uh, stock, the largest uranium miner by market cap. And I think it's a uh, $12 billion market cap, give or take. Uh, LEU, which is Centrus Energy, they are a United States-based uh, enricher for uranium, which there's multiple processes for uranium. You pull it out, or you find it, you pull it out of the ground, uh, you refine it, you enrich it, you get it ready to use at a uh, nuclear reactor to convert into electricity. And LEU, that, that stock was up 15%. That's a really small company, so it doesn't take much to move the price. And NextGen Energy, which I'm also a shareholder of, also bullish on that company, that was up as much as 9%. And that one's a fairly big one at about a two and a half, maybe $3 billion market cap. Haven't checked in a while. But right now, uh, well, there are some very interesting developments in the uranium market. I've mentioned this before, the Sprott Physical Uranium Trust, SPUT, I'll refer to that as SPUT. It's an investment vehicle. It's very similar to like a gold trust. So I talk about the manipulation in the gold markets, how uh, there's way more paper contracts for ownership of the metal than there is of the metal. So 10 people on paper own the same ounce of metal, for example. But with the Sprott investment vehicles, that is not the case. For every single paper owner, they have the actual ounces backing it, and they do regular audits to prove that. So basically, they have uh, a gold trust. You put your money into it, and you own gold, basically, on paper. Now, if shit hits the fan, you know, that gold is miles away. It's in Vancouver, actually. So if you don't hold it, you don't own it. Some people make that argument. But I'm just saying this to get you guys to understand how it works. You know, they do that for silver. They do it for platinum, palladium, etc. But recently, last year, they introduced a physical uranium trust, which pulls physical uranium out of the spot market where it's actively traded, mostly by you know, energy companies and whatnot. And they've been pulling uranium off of the spot market. And actually in nine months since their inception, they, ha they have accumulated enough uranium where their assets under management are $2.83 billion. And that's not even the best part because this, the uranium market is so, so small that it doesn't take much money to move it. And the spot investment vehicle it's only on the TSX, the Toronto Stock Exchange, where there is not nearly as much money as the New York Stock Exchange. So when Sput gets listed on the New York Stock Exchange, which I've heard the founders or the executives at uh, Sprott, uh, Rick Rule, he has talked about how it, 
obviously it's not a guarantee, but they're trying to get it listed on the New York Stock Exchange right now. And they have thrown out some dates like quarter two or quarter three of this year, 2022. So if institutional money has an actual place to go, then it, it is gonna be, as Rick Rule says, it's gonna be like siphoning water out of the Hoover Dam through a garden hose. There simply is not gonna be enough places to put all that money. So in my opinion, I think when that happens, it's gonna boost the spot price, it's gonna incentivize more production as we need more production for uranium because we're guaranteed a shortage if we don't produce more at the current prices. So if that comes this year, which I think it will, then it'll create some booming opportunities to invest in uranium. Uh, and also there is a uranium index, URA, which it's a more, it's a diversified basket of uranium holdings. It has companies like Paladin in there, which Paladin is famous for going from a penny to 15 bucks during the previous bull market. I believe those years were 2004 to 2008, 2003 to 2007, something like that. It, you know, Cameco is in there, Denison Mines, uh, Uranium Energy Corp. Uh, I don't know the others, but there's, there's a whole wide variety of stocks in that index. And it's a, it's a much safer way to, you know, rather than researching all these companies, figuring out the management, seeing what, uh, their exploration projects, their drilling projects, their production, how many pounds they have on, in the ground, what are their costs, you can invest in a broad spectrum of uranium miners. And an equivalent of that is UROY, U-R-O-Y. It's a royalty and streaming corp for uranium. So they basically just, they get royalties from the miners that are pulling it out of the ground. So they don't have any actual operations themselves. Uh, so institutional money, it'll have a place to go. You think of a, a large pension fund with, I don't know, say, $400 billion in assets under management. Now, what are their options if they wanna go invest in uranium? Well, they could, first of all, 400 billion is a lot. What if they're, they're only willing to invest 1%? That'd be pretty small, but that would be $4 billion. There simply is not enough liquidity in any uranium investment vehicles to support $4 billion, uh, to support a $4 billion investment. Like I said, Sprott Physical Uranium Trust doesn't even have $3 billion in assets under management, and that's about a quarter of the whole market cap of Cameco, which is the largest by market cap. So this will increase investment demand. It'll make it more easily accessible, and I think it'll boost the spot price, and I think we'll be able to get some fantastic gains investing in these uranium miners. And obviously, this is not financial advice, do your own due diligence. Do not rely on me for investment information. Don't do what I do because I don't always make money. Sometimes I do horrible in the markets and that's okay. I'm 23. I simply want to get really good in the next 10 years. And then even in the next 10 years, I'll still have five, six decades before I retire. I'm planning on utilizing compound interest over the course of decades of dollar cost averaging my way into the markets. And that will be my retirement. And I encourage all of you to look into strategies like this because nobody is gonna take care of us. Maybe you have someone in your family that'll take care of you, that's nice. But having sovereignty and independence is important. 
And if you are secure with your finances, then your quality of life likely will be less stressful. Maybe that's a debate, maybe not. I'd rather not have to worry about my bills and live paycheck to paycheck and whatnot. And I'm sure you guys are of a similar mindset. So take it seriously. We need to invest in our future. And the difference between starting investing at the age of 30 and at the age of 20 is absolutely ginormous. And it's even, the difference is even larger if you start at 40, 50, 60. You, you get the point. So a couple more uranium things. Uh, since the new year, Sprott Physical Uranium Trust has increased their assets under management by 797 million. They've been adding a lot of pounds of uranium to their stash. And right now, they're actually sitting on $85 million in cash. Now, uh, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but a pound of uranium is about 50 bucks, last I checked. I think it bottomed recently at around 44. So $50 million gets you a million pounds. I don't know what that is, maybe 1.3 million pounds that they could pull off the spot market. And we saw that happen months ago. I think it started with a $1.4 million purchase and then follow that up by another $1.4 million, or yeah, one point, no, 1.4 million pounds, rather. And then followed up a few weeks later was another 1.4 million pounds. And that's when we saw uranium go from like 40 to 65 bucks. And currently we're at a discount to that. We're only at 50 bucks. Uh, so U308, that's uranium. That's uranium on the periodic table. Uh, demand for U308 is expected to be 700 million pounds through 2030. And we're currently pulling uh, current production or uh, current usage is 109 million pounds a year. And we expect that to dramatically increase through, throughout the entire world, frankly. And yes, this might be an investment that takes a decade or so to really, really pay off but we're gonna be holding investments for a decade anyway. The time is gonna pass one way or another, so I don't know, when's the best time to start investing? 20 years ago or 10 years ago? You get, you get the point. Start early, we're gonna be holding on for a long time one way or another. Uranium might not even be the biggest form of energy for 40, 50 years. We don't know, but anyway, one more thing about uranium, two more things. So. We saw the spot price move and uh, supply chain problems get a little sketchy with the Russia-Ukraine Russia invasion because Russia is actually responsible for 43% of the uranium enrichment, and that would be a huge hit to supply if sanctions on Russia were, you know, well, there are sanctions on Russia, and if they have 43% of uranium enrichment, then that decreases our ability to get enriched uranium. And the last thing I wanted to say about uranium is I, so I gotta give credit to uh, Uranium Insider. It's a YouTube channel, very, very knowledgeable gentleman who runs it. If you wanna learn more about that market, check it out on YouTube. He actually pulled up URA, which is the uranium uh, index that I mentioned earlier. Uh, priced against the S&P 500. And if you look at the chart, it, it only goes back to 2010 when the fund was created. S&P 500 has been around way longer than that. But 
before I say this, uranium peaked in 2007 at like 144, 145 bucks a pound. And it was on a run from like $15 a pound. It was pretty crazy. And then, you know, it, it sold off. I don't know what it was at it in 2010, but in 2010, the ratio of URA to the S&P 500 was 0.1. So it was one-tenth the size of the S&P 500. And this is a huge uh, form of energy. I guess one-tenth seems about right, maybe even a little less than that. But you look at the stock or that chart, URA to SPX, which is S&P 500, and it just goes down, down, down. It looks like your average crypto shitcoin chart where it just fizzles out into nothing. So the ratio now between URA and the S&P 500 is 0.01. So just to get back to what it was at in 2010, which certainly was not anywhere near the peak, if, if URA had been created in the past, uh, earlier than 2010, then we are at a 10, we, we need 10x to get back to that point where it was at in 2010. So that gives you a little idea of the possibilities and the gains in uranium. Keep in mind, I don't know the exact market cap of uh, this stock right now, but I remember all of the uranium equities on the planet combined, they were smaller than the market cap of Pinterest. Very tiny market, lots of room to run. I watched something else that was pretty interesting, uh, an interview with Danielle, Danielle DiMartino Booth, and it was on YouTube, uh, Palisades Gold Radio. She was at the Federal Reserve for nine years, and you know she was an insider. She knows a hell of a lot more than I do, a hell of a lot more than most people, and it was a very interesting video. It kind of gave, gave me some insight on what the Federal Reserve can do right now and how they're kind of, they're, they're in a pickle right now. They need to be responsible and raise rates and perform quantitative tightening, which is getting rid of the assets on their balance sheet. And it basically just destroys money, which is deflationary. And the stock market has already demonstrated it does not like that one bit, not one bit at all. But if they do that, then it, if they do this quantitative tightening and raising interest rates, it could destroy the economy. It could create liquidity crises. It could, it could create bankruptcies. And the other option is for them to perform quantitative easing, print money, inject it into the economy, which we know it helps the 1% and damages the 99%. Uh, so they are stuck between a rock and a hard place. I encourage you guys to check out that recent video. It's, it's from like 10, 11, 12 days ago, but it's still very new, useful information. So Joe Biden came out and as he met with Jerome Powell last week, the chairman of the Fed, he talked about his plan to fight inflation in three easy steps. One, he's going to let the Federal Reserve do its job. Now, I need not remind you that the Federal Reserve is what got us into this mess in the first place. They are not good at what they do. They've been irresponsible. Now, we will see what they do now, but he's going to give the Federal Reserve some space to do its job. And then two, he's going to lower costs, whatever that means. I didn't really see any good explanation for what that means. Might just be a good talking point, you know, something to just appeal to his crowd. Oh, I'm, I'm the good politician. I'm, I'm the good president. I'm going to lower costs because I care. Yeah, <laughs> you haven't done a good job at that, sir. 
And the third part of his plan was to decrease the deficit by increasing taxes. Now, if you increase taxes, then it cuts into the business's bottom line. Do you think all these businesses are going to just stand by and take a pay cut? No. It hasn't happened. That's not how it worked in the past. That's probably not how it'll work in the future. What will happen if you decrease their bottom line, decrease their profits? They'll just raise prices, as they have been doing the last 12 and 24 months. They will just simply do that, and they'll pass the gain in price onto the consumer, which is you and I. So I'm not satisfied with Joe Biden's plan. I haven't really been that satisfied with anything that he's done. But who knows, maybe he'll come in clutch, but probably not. Another interesting statistic I wanted to bring up, 36% of individuals making $250,000 a year are living paycheck to paycheck. This is a good example of the fact that financial literacy is not inherited with money. We see lottery winners go broke because they don't know how to manage money. Now, when someone goes from making 50K a year to 100K a year, they shouldn't just double their spending. It's, it's not wise at all. You're, you're, you're just going to be living paycheck to paycheck again. And clearly this is an example of financial literacy not being very prominent, which kind of encourages me to do this even more because financial literacy is important. It was not taught to me effectively by the school system. I don't know if it was to you or not, but maybe you can let me know in... I don't know, an email, info at newschoolpodcast.com. I love hearing your guys' insights. But bottom line, financial literacy, it doesn't come with money. So people make more money, they're encouraged to spend more. But in reality, if you double your income and you keep your spending the same, that's how you get ahead. That's how you put money into investments and grow your wealth, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, oh. Yeah, here's another good one. So I read this uh, yesterday. Two different statistics that were very similar. This comes out of inequality.org. And they are not statistics from the same year. They were just the readily available ones. Uh, the bottom, so they took the bottom 50% of the population, their wealth, put a number to it. And that number was from 2016. And they took a number from 2019 of the three wealthiest people on the planet, and they compared those numbers. Three people have the same amount of wealth as the bottom 50% of people in the United States of America. That is the doing of the Federal Reserve. That is the doing of printing currency, injecting it into the economy, buying up assets, inflating asset prices so that people like Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and Bill Gates and Warren Buffett they have unrealized capital gains of tens, sometimes hundreds of billions of dollars. Another statistic comparable to that, Forbes reported on this in 2020. I've seen this in the past, but I whipped it out because it's very similar to this one. The top 1% wealthiest individuals in the United States, they own 15 times the wealth of the bottom 50%, bottom 5-0%. How fucked up is that? 
This is what we see at the end of empires when conflicts arise, the, ha the, the difference between the haves and the haves have-nots grows and grows and grows, and people at the bottom suffer, and people at the top, they get wealthy, and they buy their 40-second, $100 million yacht or jet or whatever. I feel as though that's some interesting stuff to think about. Again, why I do this, I do this because I don't have enough faith in the financial or in the education system to educate us properly on finances, investing a portion of your income, whether it's every week, every month, it's incredibly important so that we can gain financial security at some point in our lives. And the slowest but surest way to financial freedom is dollar cost averaging your way into index funds for decades in a row. At least that was the case the last 40, 50, 60 years. I don't know if it'll be the case from here on, but I know we need to invest or we need to provide a hell of a lot of value to this world, therefore earning a hell of a lot more dollars. So that is a recap of the markets. Uh, next week I'll probably report that oil went up again, but I'm Max Kozmalski. It's June 6, 2022. Thank you for tuning in to Max's Monday Morning Market Mania. Till next time.